0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards the, like, some
1: greater purpose? Every with bloated we are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie
2: Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 113. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm
1: Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White.
2: In our double feature this week, I am Cuba the 1964 film by Mikhail Kalatozov, and The Sheik and I, the 2012 film by returning champion Kaveh Zahidi. JT, you brought this double feature to the podcast, did you not?
1: I did, that's true. I recall last episode I mentioned that I was inspired by you boys to take on a global approach and we got the whole
0: world in our hands.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. With the wonder of cinema, it's like you can go anywhere and live anything and understand completely and experience other cultures. Absolutely. So I picked two movies by directors uh, going to a different place. I had seen both of these before. Like Soy Cuba, it had been, I don't know, I want to say since I was in like middle school or high school. And I watched The Sheik and I, like, last year. And uh, I feel like they pair together well. I mean, especially, like, a lot of talk about, like, American imperialism in both. And mm-hmm. uh fun time.
2: No, uh, I Am Cuba is really awesome. It's, you know, been a blind spot for a long time. Kind of touted as one of the great stylistic exercises in cinema history. And it is just that. Uh, that one we have... The Soviet director, uh, Mikhail Kolatozov, going to Cuba to make a propaganda film there. And in our B film, we of course have, as JT has referred to him, America's favorite son, uh, the San Fernando Valley's own uh, Iranian-American filmmaker, Kaveh Zahidi, going to the United Arab Emirates to make a film and, uh, yeah, the the results speak for themselves. Malcolm, how'd you feel about this double feature? I was happy to to
0: watch both these movies as I am every week, of course, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's always a pleasure. But, yeah, Soy Cuba, it's one of those movies, you know, it's like two and a half hours, and you know it's it's well regarded, but sometimes you know, that could kind of feel like vegetables sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's like that movie it couldn't be further from the truth. you know, such a fun movie to watch, you know, such a visually interesting movie. And then with The Sheik and I, I uh, I'd seen it before. I'd seen it somewhat recently, actually. And, uh, yeah, it's it was just a fun to rewatch. I love Kavid Zahedi. I love his uh, his style. Super funny guy. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a good double feature. And you, know, you get some of that, some exhilarating, you know, masterwork, you know, masterpiece type cinema from Soy Cuba. And then you kind of have uh, Kavid Zahedi's, you know, kind of wing it as you go approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was, you know, so you... It's good to get two things in a double feature rather than just one thing. We got two things going on here.
2: I think if we've learned anything in the two years of doing this podcast, where we watch two movies every week, it's good to have two things happening. You
1: gotta have one movie, and then you gotta have a different one. I mean, come on! If you're gonna watch the
2: same movie twice, you might as well not even do the fucking podcast. Sure, you
0: might as well cut the time. You know, maybe
2: maybe we will do that one time. The effects of rewatching the same movie back to back, separate reviews.
0: We should do an episode where we just re-review the movies we did last week.
2: Oh, I w- Oh, the previous week. I was just thinking like things we talked about a year and a half, two years ago, but the previous week would be great. Kind of the show about the show by Kaveh Zahidi, kind of a podcast like that, the mm-hmm. uh, the clip about the clip. And I, I, I think <laughs> the results would be very boring. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's
0: what the podcast needs to become, more about the podcast itself. <laughs> yeah, Because people love the podcast, a bunch of people listen. So if we kind of... Get more in-jokes, more meta things going.
2: Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I Am Cuba, a four-part, hyper-stylized uh, drama, and it tells, let's see, there's a story of a street vendor and his girlfriend and the casino-running rich Americans in Havana and the juxtapositions between them and the interactions Uh, eventually between them part two you have a man getting his big sugar crop that he's worked all his life building and his house taken away from him and uh, the results from that being that he burns it all down pretty epically the third one uh, there's, you know, so much police violence going on and media stooges claiming that Fidel Castro is dead. So these revolutionaries, you know, get to step in. They, they, they respond and uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. And the fourth one, a man and his family that live in the mountains are bombed by the state uh, as they are trying to bomb, you know, the revolutionaries at the time. And then that forces the man to join said revolutionaries. And, you know, for a film that is full on, you know, Soviet propaganda boosting this new communist Cuba by depicting its pre revolutionary state the way that the classic Soviet propaganda films did with, you know, pre revolutionary Russia. Uh, you know, it's pretty like even-handed. Like the drama is like very. I wouldn't say it dramatically works like a just on a narrative level as well as like the great Hollywood films or whatever. But the, there's like pretty strong opposition in each way. You know, the the guys who are just living it up in Havana in the beginning, they're having a good time. You know, like it's <laughs> a, it, it, it's a very. It, it, it was a different film than I expected. Let's just say I that. Mean, On top yeah. of the, it being a pure exercise in style, I would say the drama was a lot more even-handed than I expected.
0: I mean, yeah, it's like that, you know, what you're saying about the guys in the casino having a good time. Like those Navy guys, you know, who hasn't done a little bit of gang stalking before <laughs> with your boys? You know what I mean? You kind of just... I mean, it, it's just, you know, you're in that a certain mode in a certain night. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing harmful. But uh, no, yeah, I mean... On a serious note, <laughs> I don't endorse gang-stalking. You know, before even talking about the movie. But the movie is, you know, it's great. It's, it uh, like like you said, it's not really, like, it has, like, these four separate narratives that it explores. And I think that's, like, a big benefit to it, rather than it being, like, one sweeping narrative, because it really kind of allows room for just visual exploration and kind of, like, you know, the director having... Uh, you know, fun with these tracking shots and, you know, just it's very active camera. And so like it like the 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 drama of it works, but it's it's, you know, it's a visual movie first and foremost. And I feel like the way it's like it's all formatted Mm -hmm. uh, helps that.
2: Yeah. I mean, also to talk about the visual form of it, it's in, you know, uh, Academy ratio, but shot and also in very stark black and white. It's shot all in like wide angle lenses, too. And I think that combination of the wide angle and the height of the 4x3 frame allows just so much visual exploration. And there's also something I read that they were using like an infrared film stock that they had developed in the Soviet Union and that's how you get those images in part 2 where the clearly like clearly they're just using natural light there on that sugar field but the sky looks super dark blue you know despite how bright it is out and it just makes for such incredible contrast
0: I mean speak of that second scene it's it's kind of just amazing kind of the vastness of these sugar fields themselves. but once you know once the things you know start getting caught on fire, you know what I mean it's it's insane, you know, you know not to think like it's just like this looks like it was actually set on fire like yeah. there's no there's no way yeah. around it. they actually set all this shit on fire like and mm. I mean it's kind of a very specific part of the movie, but yeah, just that that visual spectacle and it really like I don't know, I love the way this movie kind of like will hold on, you know, things like that, like there'll be certain scenes where maybe like the club dancing scene where she's getting passed around and like that happens like, you know, like four or five times, you mm-hmm. know, six times, like, and same when you see like the house burning, there's just a real, really taking it in and like uh, soaking up what's being seen because it is like, it's a very powerful image and, mm-hmm. you know, for it being, I guess, technical propaganda, it it, it, hey, it really works. You know, you're, <laughs> you're showing me some really shocking stuff here.
1: Yeah, I also like in that, uh, second segment and I mean throughout the film the way it like abstracts images mm-hmm. and like can create just some like really beautiful like weird surreal stuff like the dream sequence, or not I, I guess not like a dream sequence but like the farmer kind of remembering his life mm-hmm. and the way it like oh, yeah. just all the gauzy like memories just sort of twinkle and fade in and out each other He does that again in the third segment where like there are these weird like compositions as the man is like shot and like killed and he's like dying and you sort of see his vision and point of view there, but even things that are more like um, straightforward. Like in in that third segment where he's being, everyone's being like hosed down. Mm-hmm. You sort of get into like a really weird surreal space where just everything is intense and like wet and like has that texture there.
2: Yeah, in in that riot scene you're talking about in the third part where the police are hosing down uh, the revolutionaries, you get. This thing that feels like it's totally out of the time and space of everything around it because it has this crazy detailed mise-en-scene, but then you cut to, and that's all in this wide shot, but then you cut to the single tracking shot of that low angle of that one guy fighting through the crowd, and it feels like he's walking Somewhat slowly for like three minutes almost, and you don't see another body in the frame, you just see multiple streams of water and fog passing by him, and it's awesome. And to talk about that intro to the second segment, you were talking about the farmer remembering his life. Yeah, it just looks like there's like a ripple of liquid running through the film, or something like that. Like, it, I don't know how they achieved it, but. You know, as I'm watching it, it almost looks like, you know, the film that's being projected just has some sort of liquid running through it or something like that to get that effect It is incredibly gorgeous and speaking of liquid there's also of course the shot in the first scene that rooftop party uh at the casino in havana which is taken by paul thomas anderson you know 30 years later for boogie nights the uh party scene where the camera goes in and out of the pool following the woman go in and it's just i don't know he it's clearly just so fun it's just like a we talked about Toby Hooper and how his movies operate uh, kind of like a, a fun house themselves, like the fun house and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 mm-hmm. is very much like that. And this film feels like the art house version of that where you're just going on all these crazy rides with the camera and just exploring all of the physical possibilities uh, with the mise-en-scene, You know, just aimed in an art house direction rather than a horror one.
0: I feel like that's especially felt in kind of like the beginning of the movie where it's like, kind of we're seeing all the fun that's had, yeah, like the rooftop party and like the 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 boys at the casino, you know, getting rowdy and whatnot, and
1: what you scared of, sure, Mister. Looks like the only thing you know how to say in English is "sure, Mister."
0: It has a lot of fun with it, you know what I mean? Like that scene I mentioned, where the the girl's getting passed around in the dance. Even though it's not very pleasant for her, I guess necessarily, it's still just a fucking, you know, insane scene. Is like it kind of reminds me of that one scene in that uh Joseph von Sternberg movie we watched for the podcast recently. Dishonored. Dishonored. Yeah, kind of like where it has a lot of stuff in like the foreground kind yeah. of like as like the camera kind of whizzes by as she's, you know, being, uh, you know, literally passed around like the dance floor or whatever, and just has this intense visual feel. And then kind of, you know, it kind of gives you your medicine afterwards. I mean, liter- mm-hmm. it literally does where it's like, Oh, you, you came here to have fun. You know, it's like, and then, and then, you know, it pulls back with uh almost like a crane looking shot mm-hmm. or whatever of kind of like the, the slums of uh havana or cuba or whatever and it it, i don't know i think that contrast is good because like the camera is is making this stuff interesting it's not supposed to be like a vulgar display of like excess or anything like that it's like people are having a a good time it's but it's like remember you know what how those good times come about. You know what I mean? Here's a little reminder.
2: The comparison to von Sternberg is interesting there because yeah, the way that von Sternberg so heavily diffused his images so that there's always this, just the layer between you and uh, the screen and the people inside the screen, I guess, uh, th- that's really heavily felt in that first club sequence where the woman who is going by the name Betty uh, while she's away from her street vendor boyfriend and with these high rolling Americans is being passed around. There's all these shadows that feel so heavily textured and just obstacles at the bar that are always foregrounding the action. And yeah, it's just so abstracted. And then, of course, she goes home with one of those guys. Uh, He pays for some lovin', and the fruit vendor boyfriend comes home, and what does he see, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that guy then just, like, dips, and as he's, you know, taking that not exactly a walk of shame. He just had sex with a woman he assumed was a prostitute. Turned out she had a boyfriend. Uh, awkward. Uh, then, then he's just accosted by all these young kids in the slums just asking him for money. And his facial expression just completely turns and the camera pulls back and it's, it's great, yeah. And each segment ends like that with, I think, not all four of them end with the camera pulling back like that but two of them do at least and then the narrator the voice of Cuba says I am Cuba and then talks a little bit about the scene you just watched and what it means
1: I just love the last like images of that first uh, sequence so much like it really hits it over the top in such a fun way I feel like the dude is also particularly repulsive, mm-hmm. like he's yeah. just like the just like classic smug rich guy with a terrible, terrible mustache.
2: There's the two other American guys that look identical that are just like classic American businessmen yeah, with Bob sunglasses. Nathan yeah, Bob. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But he want he's he's interested in the culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's he's different from the other guys. That's why he goes back. I feel like the, the what I was talking about. With it, like with the second segment, yeah, like you said, Eddie it ends with kind of that that pullback or whatever. And yeah, I I do I do kind of like uh, the poems, I guess, and like kind of the structure of this movie, how it kind of moves from one scene to the next, like kind of uh, how we get into the third subplot is kind of feels really natural as like we're just you know there's so much motion with the camera as like we follow. Follow the the scene to like a, a drive-in theater getting bombed because they're like yeah. playing some you know some propaganda by these uh, these revolutionaries and just the transition with that is just really well done.
2: So what are they showing on on screen again? It's the politician or like cop or guy that they want to kill or something like that.
0: I really didn't yeah, pick I'm up on sure. specifics. I just figured. Good it thing was... we're all like ignorant here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, because there there is. Seemingly a response built into that because part two ends uh, in the voiceover asking who is responsible and then it cuts to that image of what seems like some sort of a state official yeah. uh, on the screen pulls back to reveal it's a drive-in which is incredibly shot and then that burns down and we're introduced to this group of revolutionaries who are You know astonished that the fake news media would say that their boy Fidel is dead when he's very much alive and uh, after one of their other boys actually does get killed by the state they decide to take action and it is maybe my favorite I mean I love the camera work of the first one the most but I think this might be the overall best segment. Especially when that one guy who's urging the rest of the group to move forward, he gets assigned this sniper duty. So we get a great handheld sequence following him up this labyrinth of stairs and then he picks up the rifle and he just can't fucking shoot the guy because he's eating breakfast with his wife and kids out on the patio. And yeah, I thought we were going to go art house Chris Kyle mode and it kind of <laughs> sets it up like that as he's scoping out all of Havana and you get that great point of view shot and it's such a fucking, it would be such a fucking long snipe, you know, <laughs> but the state, you know, continues to suppress them. You get that incredible shot of uh, these guys handing out papers that say Fidel is alive and like shouting it from a rooftop as the state officials come in and kill them and You just have that amazing shot. Uh, I think that's how this segment ends, yeah, with the body flying down from the top of a roof, just hitting the ground after a bunch of abstracted crazy cuts to make it seem like you're falling down with the guy. But it almost looks like the chalk outline of a crime scene kind of thing where everyone's just made room for this body as all these papers are flying in the air. And then it cuts to an image Pointing up, maybe his perspective of the sky with all these papers floating in the air, and it's it's incredibly powerful. It's definitely my favorite part of the movie.
0: That segment definitely does a really good job of taking like uh, moments of like political action or whatever, whether mm-hmm. he's like in the protest or like you know handing out the papers, getting killed for that, and really just having a real artistic bent on those situations. Yeah. Like you like you mentioned before, that guy, you know, one of the revolutionaries who you know set fire to the drive-in walking up to the the cop in that you know the protest or whatever for like three minutes and you know just kind of how like suspended in time that feels it's like very interesting and then he just gets shot yeah yeah, yeah yeah very unceremoniously and it's like a very interesting thing to do in terms of like propaganda or whatever you know what i mean because it's like you think of propaganda as something very like direct something you know something more along the lines of the poetry in the movie and it's like it's it's just interesting that you kind of have both, you know, kind of like documentary style, you know, type imagery to it and then it getting real abstract artistic with it as well.
1: I like in particular about the third segment and then I feel like it, more so in the fourth as well, like how purely visual a lot of it is and mm-hmm. the storytelling, like it strips down a lot of stuff. I mean, certainly like there are characters like relaying like sort of the loose outline of the plot that's going on. Especially that sniper sequence just that like so much is just I-, I don't know just seeing him work through it like hearing the song and just like not like clearly not pulling the trigger because of the kids I, I don't know a lot of that stuff is just
2: so intense. There was also the great shot during the funeral procession of the third one where the camera starts in this cigar wrapping factory, I guess, where you see a bunch of people wrapping cigars by hand or rolling cigars by hand, I guess. Um, And the camera just kind of floats out the window and then is suspended on the telephone wires, I guess. And gets this insane overhead shot of the funeral procession. And yeah, I don't know. There's just so much fun with the camera here.
0: No, I mean, yeah, I think the mobility of the camera in this movie is, you know, quite possibly my favorite aspect because it is like you could just go so many places in a very literal sense, you know what I mean? And with the, you know, wide angle lens being used here, like the director, you know, he loves to get, you know, really personal and intimate with these scenes. And then, yeah, you could kind of just pull back. And feel kind of like the collective pull of like mm-hmm. you know a bunch of people uh you know in this funeral procession for you know this uh this dead revolutionary and then like you said yeah then th- that procession goes through that cigar room you know again you know a little bit more intimate than pull back and it's a more
1: you know big collective thing it's just a, it's a really good technique i feel like because it's a film by like a russian filmmaker it has like sort of an ethnographic quality to Mm -hmm. it where it's just like showing what cuba is like to an audience of people who never would have like gone there or understood it and i really like when i mean especially because the camera roams so much you just get like i don't know little like cultural scenes
2: so the fourth one then for me is kind of the weaker one although i think it ends really strong strong the end is very strong Uh, but yeah, so you first see this guy, uh, you know, shown really kind of reminded me of like Ivan's childhood, the way that those three guys are working through those murky waters with their rifles in the beginning. And then it flashes back to how he got there. You might be wondering how I joined the revolution, (laughs) uh, am at gunpoint by the state right now, but, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, so yeah, as I said earlier, it just shows him and his family living life and then getting bombed and him having to join the fight. And, uh, yeah, it's it, by the end, it's really cool. There's a really great combat scene as well.
0: No, I, I would agree with you that, like, it being towards the end of the movie or whatever, and it, it does kind of feel maybe a bit overlong or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's, like, the kind of drawn out, like, that guy coming to visit him or whatever, and, you know, seeing the rifle by the door. It's It's not even bad stuff, but it's just, like, you've been through a lot yeah. throughout the beginning of the movie. But yeah, like it does end in that good place, you know, where, where they're, you know, they're questioning, you know, are you Fidel Castro? And then they all say, we're all Fidel. And then they do that sick fucking walk. Yeah. yeah. That, that, <laughs> walk, that walk is what really fucking sell that like collective walk. That's like some sports team shit right yeah. there. It was pretty sick.
2: Any final thoughts on this one, JT? Thanks for bringing it to the pod.
1: Uh, it was my pleasure. I really wanted to check it out after like having seen it so many years ago because this was like one of those movies that like has such an intense visual style that I was like, was I just impressed by something that was kind of bullshit, but no, I still, uh, love the way this movie looks. It's just such an interesting, like formal exercise has a a lovely good message, uh, for the kids (laughs) at home. And, uh, I don't know. It's a real masterpiece in my books. Uh, so I'm going to give it, uh, or in my book, I think I only have one.
2: No, I've I've seen your shows. <laughs> You're a little shy about the content of these books, <laughs> and frankly, I understand why. But, uh,
1: but five bullets for me.
0: I'm gonna go four and a half bullets. Like, I really enjoyed this, and I feel like every time, like there's like a renowned masterpiece that I'm just like hesitant to watch just because it's like over two hours, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is like one of the best movies ever. There's a reason yeah. why this movie is well heralded. And, you know, it's the same in this case. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think I said all that I wanted to say. Just a uh, thank you, JT, for bringing it. I had a good time. It really, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I'd never read the plot description before, so I didn't even really knew, know what I was, you know, expecting. And once I see, like, you know, those those fast moving cameras it kind of it made me sit up a little bit, you know, and me yeah. made me arch up, fix my posture. So that's always good. <laughs> you always like to have a physical reaction to a movie. To a
2: follow up on last week, did you scoot closer to the screen at any point? No
0: need to, no easy. need to. Okay. I was sucked in from the beginning. They, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they had me, they had me, but Eddie, did you scoot closer and you're, and you're watching or did you, did you start in the right position? No, I
2: started in the right position. I actually watched this movie as the sun came up this morning. Uh, you know, I was up early four 30 or so and I just, thought you know i might as well just get my day started the right way rise and grind (laughs) but yeah it's a great movie four bullets i think that maybe it's a little uneven um, in terms of like one segment relating to the next not how much they relate but like the quality (laughs) of one to the next uh but as i said i think it's a lot more dramatically even-handed than i expected uh apparently both countries were not happy with it like both ministries of propaganda Russia and Cuba were not happy with it which honestly for a propaganda film is usually a good thing that makes it means it's like more difficult Uh, and yeah I, I just think this is really great so I'll be right back on Extended Clip It's Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm? I mean, is, is it? How's life been <laughs> treating you? Uh,
0: well, I'll give you a common phrase. I can't complain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, when you're watching movies, that's when life is really at its peak, right? Yes. That's when it's at its sweetest. <laughs> the sweet, you know, it's sweet to the to the taste. But uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> You know, I asked my (laughs) parents... I uh I asked my parents like a couple months ago if they had like a Netflix account, which I know they do, you know, asking for I want the password.
1: Yeah.
2: Give me the password. Give me that password.
0: They couldn't fuck they, they couldn't figure it out for a while. It t- <laughs> <laughs> took them a while to produce a password.
2: Dude same with my dad. We my my dad and I have a great text thread where it's just him guessing his own password.
0: <laughs> that shit's been logged into a Roku TV like six years ago yeah. and they've not they've not logged into it since. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I'm also on the daddy deal in terms of Netflix. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, shout out shout out to daddy. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? We got Netflix going finally. And I was firing it up and I was just like, I wanted to do a quick draw. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to go in, watch a movie that's on Netflix. And what I settled was 2001's Domestic Disturbance starring John Travolta and Vince Vaughn okay. and uh, so the plot of this is you know Travolta is he's a good divorced dad his his ex-wife is remarrying fine that's okay <laughs> that's fine all right and uh, <laughs> but it's to the most like successful guy in town it's like eh, yeah they kind of you know salt in the wound a little bit and then you know he has a son from that previous marriage who lives with the mother and the son's you know afraid of this guy he's like this guy I saw this guy kill someone basically and no one believes him and then you know travolta starts to dig in finds out that it's real and vaughn is kind of like the fake nice guy who's actually you know killing people behind the town's back and it was a great movie you know what i mean but it it was it was fine you know it filled the time it kind of gave you a uh, I think it was set in like New England or something like that so it's like a lot of scenes of characters standing out on docks mm-hmm. in the fog or whatever I could get into that I could I could kind of like that mode Travolta you know what struck me most about this movie Travolta really was a good dad in this movie you know what I mean he really wanted the best for his son you know when others were kind of uh you know not believing children I I'm on the believe children movement so um <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing funny about that. So, so, uh, um, but yeah, it's to be honest, it's as far as like you got, you want to see these actors basically. Do you want to see Travolta and Vince Vaughn kind of have a, uh, family court rivalry for me? Yes. And I got that. It really didn't go above that, but I had a good enough time. What about you guys? You guys watch anything recently?
1: I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> amazed with the belief children movement. <laughs> um, I did. Uh, I watched a movie, nice. also one. Um, not particularly good. I mean, I, I like this. I would say, um, not at all. Really? Cool. Okay. Um, I kind
2: I kind of liked mine. So that's. Yeah.
1: That's, yeah. That sucks, man. <laughs> it's okay.
2: I'm so sorry to hear about that, dude. I
1: watched... Uh, I'm here for you. you <laughs> Duncan Jones' uh, Warcraft. And I feel like it kind of might be hacked to shit on, like, a five-year-old bomb mm-hmm. of a movie. But, I mean, like, come on, baby. Like, this <laughs> is, like... There's there's so many, like, uh, factors here that could make this, like, a success. You got an angle. Racial injustice. Uh, Orcs and okay. humans. Uh, they're at war. They hate each other. You got orcs, a strange alien species that we've never seen a woman's pussy of. Ooh. It's like there could be some sexy orcs. There That's could be true. a lot of that. What does that feel like? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's like a there's a hybrid human orc woman, okay. but she's she's mostly human. You don't explore uh, that territory. I get, I get what you mean. And uh, <laughs> human <I> think, enough. <laughs> there is um. No star power in this movie. Damn. You've complained about this uh before, Malcolm, and it's just like I don't know, obviously like it's the Warcraft movie, whatever. You're spending a lot of money on like making the the, the CGI orcs look good. Yeah, sure. But like when the the biggest name is Clancy Brown in a movie you're you're desperate Brown. it's like who, dude, who, Paula the lead I mean Travis Fimmel I mean it's yeah, like <laughs> that, that's
2: hilarious this this, this is a great <laughs> cast dude from the top you got Travis Fimmel Paula Paula Patton Ben Foster Dominic Cooper Toby Kebble, Ben Schnetzner <laughs> Robert Kaczynski Clancy Brown Daniel Wu Anna Galvin yeah, this is Who just, are these people? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, here? they're
1: they're all fake people. And it's oh, just like it so makes like it, we don't need to hire real actors. It here. just is so disappointing. Like uh I, I don't know. If I, there was an era where you could make like absolute dog shit crap, but like there would be maybe Will Smith would be an org yeah. or something. And that's something I want to see in its well, own right. I think
0: they made that movie, right? Isn't it bright?
1: I mean On he's Netflix. not Oh he's the he,
0: cop Yeah he's the he cop He shoots an orc. orc Yeah
2: I think you downplayed Paula Patton uh, uh, I
0: mean that's that's true I mean that is true We do have to look at that But uh, what do you have to say about that JT? I'm just
2: looking at her <laughs> filmography And I think it's very funny that two guns And the do-over have very similar posters <laughs>
0: That is true I'm seeing it from your, your screen right now They're kind of Reversed, you know, that's uh what do you call it when it could fold into each other.
2: What is this movie just right where Common is in a Nets jersey holding Queen Latifah on the poster? <laughs> I have seen that poster, but i physical never therapist it. falls for the basketball player she is helping recover from a career threatening injury.
0: You have to imagine that happens now and then. Oh, no, Pam grier's in that.
2: Yeah, same with Paula Patton. That's how I found it. Uh, okay, I need to stop. Guess it's not a, uh, it's uh, not on
0: JT's radar then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul. No one's going to a movie for fucking Paula Patton. To be Whoa. honest, I would have I would have take
0: Patton. I would have took Patton in that fucking Godzilla versus Kong movie I saw. Oh, right?
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: over Rebecca Hall.
2: Come on, you remember the two thousands? Deja vu, Hitch. Come on, man. True Hitch.
0: Mm. Hitch. Hitch alone.
2: Hitch alone. Uh, anyway, not, to, not to rag on you too hard, man. Yeah. We're, just, we're just kidding around. And I'm also sorry to just like live letterboxed scroll on the pod. Uh, something I'm surprised it's taken me two years to start doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the films I watched this week was Bombay, the 1995 film by Manny Ratnam. And it's beautiful. Just like Ratnam's film Dilse, it is. A romantic melodrama set amidst a political struggle. And like Soy Cuba, uh, it has some huge set pieces of said political struggle out on the streets. You know, this one, the the conflict between uh, Hindu and Muslim people in India. And, you know, you have a Hindu man and a Muslim woman falling in love here. And Arvind Swami, the lead here. I don't know man, there there's just something about him. There's just something a little more casual, a little more everyman-esque. Uh, with his performance in this movie compared to some of the towering star performances I've seen in other Indian films, whether they're uh, from the Tamil cinema like this or Bollywood. Uh, There's just something a little more down to earth that makes this sing so beautifully. I, I just think this is so effective on every level and just so beautiful to look at there's just this kind of gray blue uh vision that you get with a lot of the exteriors here uh especially you know when you are by a lot of big water but it's almost like if the 80s james cameron uh blue filter was like through Eight thick layers of fog Kind of Uh, And it's an incredible visual texture That I just want to go back for more of So, yeah, check out Bombay From 1995 We'll be right back on Extended Clip So I got this uh, email And it was, um It was from a curator in Beirut who was asking me to make a film for the Sharjah Biennial, which I'd never
1: heard of before.
2: We're back on extended clip. The second movie for this week is The Sheik and I by Kaveh Zahidi from 2012. This is a film from returning champion Kaveh, uh, much like his other films about himself making films. This time he is commissioned to make a film by the arts center in Sharjah, who is having a biennial. Uh, If you don't know what Sharjah is, like I didn't, it is one of the United Arab Emirates. And the ruler of Sharjah is the Sheik. And one of the only, only constraints that was given to Kaveh when he was commissioned to make this film was that he could not make fun of of the chic, so what do you think he's gonna do? The, the film is very much like his other work about him making the film. Uh, he kind of makes a whole film within this that we don't see, and the the documentary, straight to camera address guides us through the making of that film, and it has its points of provocation, its points of frustration, uh, and its points of usual uncomfortable humor. Uh, yeah, I liked it. What about you guys?
1: Yeah, I like it. I mean, I liked it a little bit less second time around because I feel like it's more, I mean, less formally adventurous than mm-hmm. something like uh sex addict, but I still think even with, uh, Kave going a more like traditional mode by doing talking head stuff, I think a lot of what I really like about his work where he engages in a Hybridization of like fiction and reality, and like the aspect of him kind of like destroying and like fucking up his own life is like mm-hmm. very present in his art. All the cave quirks that I love are there. <laughs> um, so I don't know, it's just nice to hang out with my buddy for uh an hour and 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, I, I like this one too. And it does like compared to something like I'm a Sex Addict, it this one's definitely a lot more casual, like, there's less. I do kind of like how, at least the way it's presented. There really is like no thought process going into making the movie yeah. at first. Like, there's no foundation. Like, Kaveh just basically like, I'm gonna go over there because I don't really know what's going on over there. I'm gonna go over there, then I'll see what I can make over there. And for the most part, it's like he just asks random people to act in the movie. Like, he's just yeah. asking random people things. He kind of just.
2: The crew would like to ask you. Uh just need some people to act in our movie. Sorry? Would you need some people to act in our movie? Say again? We need people to act in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Would you be willing? What kind of movie? Uh, well, it's a combination documentary and fiction. But there are some scenes where we need some kidnappers. Kidnappers? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very stereotypic to my character. Yeah, yeah? <laughs> no, I don't uh, Yeah, well, yeah, why not? Yeah? yeah. OK. There's going to be guns in it. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's something kind of just real funny about that, kind of like the lack of preparation and how it kind of like mm-hmm. influences the movie and kind of just him just kind of following his nose and just like having random ideas. It's like, oh, then we we definitely have to film like this thought that I had or whatever. And it's just like, it, I don't know. It kind of takes strange paths uh, to go down the place it wants to go down. But uh, I don't know. I think the result is is really funny. There's just a lot of aspects to this too, especially... I mean to kind of speak of the beginning like kind of like the person who hired him for this movie just thinking how funny it is to like to be like a programmer or like running a festival and then boom you're involved with it within this movie like you're in the movie <laughs> of a and you know his work you know how yeah, he operates Yeah it's like if you've too.
1: seen Kave's stuff it's like why would you like approach him for this not anticipate like yeah. exactly this
0: but I hey he 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 delivers he delivers what uh You know, the controversy that we expect from him.
2: Absolutely. Uh, And I think that the structure of the film being this like retelling of a film he made, it kind of uh, predates what he would do with the show about the show, where that one is about the previous episode's production. uh, And this one being about a film he had previously made but I do think maybe it's not as tightly held together as some of his other work. Uh, But that being said, there are definitely some very funny individual scenes of just raw uncomfortability, Uh, Kaveh being very determined to make his films his way uh, despite whatever personal misgivings that may create. Uh, And yeah, I just feel like, as you said, Malcolm, it is a bit casual, which is kind of kind of funny because it is like he's dealing with some pretty serious stuff (laughs) like blasphemy uh in a, a country like that is a pretty tall order to you know get away from uh But, hey, luckily he has the help of powerful New York lawyers. (laughs) That is,
0: like, that's towards the end of the movie. But, like, once he brings that lawyer in, that motherfucker's a shark. Like, if he brought him (laughs) in, like, 40 minutes earlier, the movie's over. You know what I mean? Because it's like, Uh, 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 that guy has shit down on lock. Yeah,
2: so he finishes making this movie, basically – Uh, And we'll get into some scenes within that but you know he flies back to America with about 30 minutes left in the movie and it all feels like post credits even because he talks about the ending of the movie he made and shows it even Uh, and it all feels like not like an afterthought but like it's the post text to it is what happens after he made the movie and how it got caught up in all these these legal disputes and these people that could get in trouble for uh, blasphemy if they appear in the film and how it can't be screened in the UAE. So it just becomes a legal battle, and <laughs> he gets this like super powerful uh, entertainment lawyer involved. And I I think that being the third act makes it just very strange just not what i was expecting at all while i was watching this movie
1: yeah i definitely think the parts where he's in sharjah and like what malcolm was saying like going around just like asking people do you want to be in a movie yeah and just like getting like eccentric like people and that like that's the the peak of it for me but i i don't know it is such a strange ending where it is just sort of fun to watch cave like explain out what happens
0: it is it is funny because like with that approach it's like he does find a few eccentric people but most of the people are pretty like um straight and narrow that he's talking to and he's like the eccentric one and it's just like he's talking to them and they're like what the like they don't really even understand like what his motive really is for the most part because he doesn't really have a defined one either or whatever just like i think it's just funny how like in terms of like the kind of like the more dramatic scenes he plans to shoot like he wants to make like a 24 or Esque style <laughs> like political thriller or whatever which is very funny like considering like the types of movies he makes there's never any
2: kind of like heavy action you know what no, i mean not at all. you wouldn't he, expect he himself that to be says, in his, says yeah. when he's thinking that uh through he says that it would be bad if he made an action movie and it
0: is like i think like it's because you know every every
2: decision that's made in this movie is kind of like it's
0: kind of discussed amongst, you know, the group of people making the movie. And then they're like, that'd be kind of like a lot of effort
1: to do <laughs> yeah. something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. There's that one point where he just like throws out the idea of doing a musical sequence yeah. and everyone has to like fucking talk him down and be like, that's so much like work like to do. Yeah.
0: But it's, like, the result of that is, like, you kind of get this provocation of a scene where you have, like, four females in burqa doing, like, dance, choreographed dances together. And it's just, like, there's something, like, I don't know, the way, like, the movie progresses and, like... Like, there's parts of this movie where it kind of feels like it's almost like Kavi Zahedi pranks in the hood mm-hmm. style type <laughs> yeah, I mean, type with
2: that scene, you know, he got all these women to agree to do it. And then the next day he shows up and they all make up excuses why they can't do it. And so you have, like, the one Egyptian woman who's still down. And then the, the other people are from their crew dressed up in those burkas. And so they... two women that work there walk into the shot at one point and just like sneer at them kind of and then the camera follows them into this like common area for the workers and they're It's, like, pretty unethical, I guess. But, I mean, hey, no filmmaking is ethical. Where we're we're just watching this workplace dispute about these people being involved in this terrible, blasphemous movie, (laughs) like, uh, that they could potentially get in huge trouble for and how pissed off they are at each other for it, basically. Speaking of Egyptians who are willing to participate, uh, I guess of all the people who live in the UAE, those are the ones who don't take the... uh, the religious like and political blaspheme uh laws very seriously there's one egyptian guy who really wants to be in the movie and like lists all the things he can do for a movie and uh it's pretty funny kave gives him like a whole gag reel of like fun stuff that he does and then 10 minutes later he comes up with his buddy and he's just like i need pocket money and Kav oh, is yeah. just like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not paying you. And he leaves. <laughs> it is like, yeah,
0: I mean, I think the kind of his style, right? Irresponsible documentary making. And then this one, it's like, it's not as like, it is like somewhat pointed given like the region and kind of like the, you know, him sat, Yeah, you know, I don't know if, I guess he, I don't know if he ever really satirizes Islam, but there's just like a, just like weird stuff he's doing with it. Obviously trying to, poke the bear and whatnot mm-hmm. it's stuff like him kind of just dressing in kind of like full garb like halfway through the movie oh, that and he's just wearing like you know the head you know i don't know what that's called you know forgive me the head dress thing you know throughout the entire movie and it's just like it's never really commented on that much and it's just like i don't know like i guess there's a point in the movie where he's like there was a version of this movie that was kind of more like poking fun at him trying to like you know, being like an American, you know, with kind of like an imperialistic attitude and like having a misconception of the place or mm. whatever. And like the parts of that you still see in the movie are, I, I think, you know, that's still, uh, here to a certain respect and that stuff's pretty funny to me.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's cave's looking for comedy in the Muslim world. Absolutely. I, mean, I mean, it's mean, like, that's absolutely. such an easy comparison to make, but I really, what, like i don't know does it for me in this movie it's just like the strange just like kind of fucking up that he does that it's like it's on a weird gray line of where it's like is this like kind of offensive like when the the headdress falls off during prayer like this
2: if everything falls off do i just pick it up or? no you just need it okay
0: if it falls off, that means it's destined to fall off. You just leave it. Some people will try to pick it up, but as much as possible, not not to break the rhythm. Uh-huh. And is that nature. true now too, or just during the prayer? During just the prayer. During the real prayer. During the, the replay. Now we're
2: just mimicking. A lot of people have this phone. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's funny. <Yeah. laughs> just Kavi riffing it out where yeah. it's like, it's harmless and innocuous, but also, uh, it's just a weird territory that I like. I know, I like being uncomfortable in those Mm -hmm. moments.
2: And much like looking for comedy in the Muslim world, it's about its author more than the subject they're tackling. You know, Mm -hmm. from, from the very beginning... Uh, and for looking for comedy in the Muslim world, the Albert Brooks movie, he has like a career retrospective within his performances in that movie. And with Cave, this one opens with him choosing his shirt, you know, going through all these different options of which shirt looks best on camera. So, you know, this film is about him. It's not about the, the Muslim world.
0: Because, like, we're talking about like these provocations he does or whatever, or like the stuff involving the children, which is just kind of hilarious that he's just even working with them. To me, for some reason, but I I get it as like a filmmaker, it is like somewhat interesting, I guess. But like it, it, it like um, and then the kind of like it, there's so much const like that's kind of the the pattern of this movie. He does something kind of weird that seems like mildly offensive. It kind of like you said is in that gray area where he's just you know he's trying to provoke, and then there's just the consequences that well, the possible consequences. People telling him like mm-hmm. I don't know if you could you know do that here. Like that might get these people in trouble or whatever and there's something there's something interesting about the fallouts he has and it's you know he never really like uh he never of course is like oh yeah i'll consider the people i I won't put them in that position anymore but he's definitely interested in that fallout and kind of people's reaction to Mm -hmm. i don't know him making this type of art
1: I feel like that's one of the benefits to Kaveh as being like a really neurotic filmmaker and like exploring those neurotic impulses is that you get like so many like explorations of different paths. This could have gone down or things like that. And uh, he's looking at it from all angles here.
2: I'm going to give this one three bullets. This is a funny movie. It's a little trying at times. I don't like the animation, but it is a funny and good movie from a filmmaker that I like. Uh, what about you Malcolm
0: I'm gonna go four bullets I like I like this one quite a bit and like on rewatch it still kind of holds up I think i have you know it's pretty recent since I watched it and I still found most of the stuff kind of funny and interesting in the animation yeah it isn't like like the you know like the the quality of it itself like is not the best but I get I like the function of it like I get it you know to a mm-hmm. certain extent I, it'd be better than just like Black audio, or what, or I, I guess there's, a, there's those are not the only two ways to do that, but I don't know. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I kind of, you know, with the show or whatever, I, I, I'm kind of used to Cave as a personality. I, I think it's like, I don't know, like he's, he's definitely a guy I could see a lot of people disliking or whatever. And I think it kind of hinges on if you kind of have, if you have similar humor to him, I think that helps a lot. And like if, if he don't, I could see people hating most of his work but you know
1: I think the, the fact that he pisses off a lot of people is one of the reasons I love Kaveh so much he's like ah, I, I want to say good intentioned I mean usually he thinks he is and yeah. it's like exploring that in a fun like mm-hmm. way too explicitly honest way but I don't know it's a personality I just love seeing on screen I'm going to give this uh, three and a half bullets. It's just, I don't know. Each time it's, I think Cave explores something like a little bit deeper, especially. Um, I really love early on the moments where he is like considering that maybe his driver is like kidnapping (laughs) him. (laughs) And it's like there's that footage there where where it's like I don't know whether that was like footage in the moment they were shooting for like recording it as the sake of a documentary or if it was something that like Cave went like and shot afterwards where it's like, okay we're doing this scene of me being like paranoid about this type of thing. And there's just that, like, weird interplay there where I think Cave makes all of his films feel, like, very casual and sort of, like, you're following, like, a natural thought process, but they're, like, I don't know, really, like, he, he has a clear perspective, and that's very well constructed in all of them, and so, uh, I don't know, comes across, and I like spending time with the guy.
0: No, yeah, for his, like, I don't know, I guess you could call his movies tricky or something like that, as tricky as they could be sometimes, like... There are like these moments of sincerity, or like maybe even a basis of sincerity that I don't know. I feel that he's true to himself. I guess is is the way to put it. And he's like including
1: moments that like don't make him come across like particularly well. Like he he foregrounds like stuff with him kind of ignoring his kid, like him barging into the bathroom (laughs) to like talk to his and film his wife. Like uh, I I don't know. I, I like that he has those like genuinely kind of ugly moments. He takes you
0: through the full thought process. He's not, you know, at least to, he gives you the feeling that he's taking you through the full thought process as it, because we can't claim to know the guy, but, um, he films the things that we're afraid to say, (laughs) (laughs) but he, you know, like, like you said with the driver scene, you know, he admits that, you know, he kind of has like this paranoid, uh, Mm -hmm. delusion that like, Oh no, it's like the driver kidnapping us. Like I'm Jack Bauer or something like that. And then, you know, he realizes, like, well, that's probably, that's kind of a silly thing to think. That's probably not happening. It's not happening. And then he's like, let's make a scene based off, you know, me having that delusion. And, yeah, so I don't, he he does a good job at uh,
2: including it all. Extended Clip Podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach out to us and, you know, give us a little something to talk about on this segment. The email segment, which is empty this Dry. week. Do better
1: Sometimes I just don't want to hear from the fans. Even if we had an email this week, <laughs> wow. maybe I wouldn't have felt like answering it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't always want to talk about myself yeah. on this show. Oh, JT no.
2: was talking shit about the peanut gallery at the break. <laughs> he was calling them the penis gallery. Yeah. but um, <laughs> Which, I mean, hey. Because they all have huge cocks. Well, you Anyone that, that listens to the show. I was just thinking like the vagina monologues. You know what that is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I d- I've only heard it referenced in sitcoms. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it was... It's... I actually saw my cousin in a performance of it. once. Oh, actually, you know what? I think I saw that too. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. It's like a bunch of women come out dressed as a vagina and talk. You know? Really? It's, it's literally that. Yeah. That's we
0: gotta have the. It'd be the-
2: very uncomfortable as like a ten-year-old boy.
0: Why? Yeah. Why were you? Why were you taken to that?
2: I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But anyway. That's that's some some globalist shit right there. Same thing, but instead of like boring plays and monologues, it's just like photography. And it's called the penis gallery. The penis gallery. (laughs) I think
0: that's a project we need to pursue, Eddie
2: okay Mm -mm -mm -mm. (laughs) well i guess we're gonna be taking a little leave of absence from the podcast then i'll call it six months
0: (laughs) photograph penises across the
1: country
2: (laughs) that would dude that
1: would sell that would people would be all over that yeah especially a snappy name like the penis
0: gallery the penis i mean come on it's Uh, like the vagina monologues all over again
2: i don't want to hear about the penis gallery (laughs) this is your idea
0: You've been thinking about this a lot.
2: <laughs> I'm always thinking about this. Anyway, um, well, before I take my excursion uh, to undergo my, you know, uh, I was going to say jour du fait. That's not like uh, that. Yeah. You, you're like, trying to
0: go for a Fraser move, yeah, right? That, you're that, trying to go that, Fraser move. I think that would mean day
2: of fate or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, before I embark on this journey uh, We're going to do one more episode Um, (laughs) The big day is what Jour du Fet means Okay Uh, (laughs) So before I have my On du fete, My year My big year (laughs) Of creating the penis gallery uh, We're going to have one last episode next week Uh, Two guests for the first time ever Still I'm not sure how I'm going to record it on our four channel mixer But I will figure it out We're going to have both Rob and Claire back on, two original guests of the podcast, two of the podcast's oldest friends, and two movies by directors we like. The movies we will be talking about, Paul Verhoeven's Basic Instinct, and Eric Eric Romare's Romare's Claire's Claire's Knee.
0: Can't wait. Me neither. Serve it it to me on a platter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Any final words, JT? Uh, both of my lovers on one podcast sounds like a great time.
0: That could, yeah, that could, that could go sitcom level wacky. You know what I
2: mean? <laughs> Someone's going to walk in on somebody naked, <laughs> and I am going to have no part of it. Goodbye. And that's pretty much the last thing we shot, and we just had to, we had to leave. You know, we had a flight to catch, and so we came back to the states. And our last idea was to like put on like. A, the Arab headdress and stuff at the airport uh, and walk through customs. And we thought for sure they would stop us because they would like, we thought they'd be like racist and prejudiced and they would like think, hey, we're gonna like search these guys, these guys look Arab. And no one stopped us. And I was like really surprised and impressed by our customs people. <laughs>